speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 20 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I'm going to take a look at episodes 7 and 8 of season 1 of The Adventures of Superman, entitled The Birthday Letter and The Mind Machine. And I'm going to take you through these two episodes on my own tonight. In our first episode, we are going to deal with a missing child who overheard the wrong information due to getting a phone call from a wrong number. And in the second episode, we're going to see a little bit more of a science fiction type of story. As you're going to see a gangster try to control the minds of witnesses with the help of a professor's machine, which can make them do anything he wants them to do. So... Sit back. For now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and I'm going to get right into things in this episode. And I'm going to come back with the birthday letter. Hang around. Are you willing to follow me on a journey? and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. First episode I'll be covering today is The Birthday Letter. Original broadcast date was October 31st, 1952. Writer was Dennis Cooper, and director was Lee Scholl. Guest cast included Isa Ashdown as Kathy Williams, John Doucette as Slugger, Maurice Marsak as Marcel Duval, Nan Boardman as Marie Duval, 
Virginia Carroll as Mrs. Williams, Jack Daly as Mr. Perkins, Louis Mercier as LaRue, Paul Marion as Herman Cusack, Stephen Carr as the pointing man in the crowd watching Kathy. So, here is our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Kathy Williams lives alone with her mother who works every day. The girl has sent a letter for Superman to the Daily Planet. Got a second, Chief? Sure, Lois. Come in. Just got this letter. I thought maybe you'd like to hear it. It's addressed to Superman, care of the Daily Planet. Dear Superman, tomorrow is my birthday. I will be seven years old. I would like to go to the county fair and ride on the merry-go-round on the roller coaster. But I can't because I'm crippled. You do so many good things for people. I thought maybe you would come and take me to the fair. Your friend, Kathy Williams, 22 Hill Street, Metropolis. It's kind of sad, isn't it? We'll take her to the fair. Hop out there and make arrangements with her family. Oh, it wouldn't be the same, Chief. Think what it would mean to this youngster for Superman to come out and take her. Well, we'll do the next best thing. Give her a real party. Good human interest story. Go ahead. Okay, Chief. The telephone rings and Kathy answers. Look. Look, they're after me. I gotta talk fast. The meeting's set for 10 o'clock Saturday night at the Lambert Engraving Company. You got it? The body falls in front of the shopkeeper along with a piece of paper with Avondale 3741 written on it. News of Cusack's death is all over town and French smugglers Marcel and Marie Duval have gotten the mobster's papers from the tobacco store clerk, Mr. Perkins. Boy, you sure took a long time. You learn anything? The clerk at the tobacco store says Cusack was talking on the phone when he was shot. I don't get it. I thought Cusack was supposed to call here. He was, but he called the wrong number. How do you know? The clerk found this on the floor. It's Cusack's writing. Ain't this our number? Ours is 3471, you idiot. That's the mistake Cusack made. Now he's dead, and we will never find out who he gave the message to. Oh, we'll find out. I know a way to trace this number through the telephone company. Thank you very much. The name is Williams, 22 Hill Street, apartment 3. Williams? I'll bet you it was a little... Slugger, keep quiet. What for? It says in the paper... Hey, Slugger! We've got to find out who took the message, that's all. I still say it was a little girl in the paper. All right, all right. What little girl? What paper? In the planet. I was just reading about her. She's crippled, see? She's got to stay home alone all day on account of her mile's got to go to work. It's the same name and the same address. What are you talking about? Here, read it. Knowing that Kathy wants Superman to take her to the county fair, Marcel intends to give her the man of tomorrow in the form of Slugger in a Superman costume. Clark Kent has just returned from Chicago. Good morning, Lois. Oh, hello, Clark. You're back. How was it? Pretty grim. I don't like covering train wrecks. What's new around here? Oh, let's see. Herman Cusack, small-time hoodlum, believed to be mixed up with Big Jim Hanlon's gang, was shot and killed in a cigar store phone booth. Mm-hmm. I picked up a copy of The Planet in Chicago. He did a stretch for counterfeiting, didn't he? Five years. Mm-hmm. Anything else new around here? No, that's about it. Oh, Kathy Williams. Oh, yes, the little girl that wants Superman to take her to the fair. Uh-huh, you read my story. Sure, I did. The question is, did Superman? Well, I don't know. Clark, that poor little kid sitting out there waiting and hoping. And I promised that... Lois, listen. Superman's never let you down yet, has he? 
know, but... Well, I don't think he's going to now. When he arrives at the Williams home as Superman... You're Superman? Yes. Where's Kathy? Well, that's what I'd like to know. I came to take her to the fair. You came to take... Well, yes, you are Kathy's mother, aren't you? What's wrong? Oh, you know what's wrong. I, I just came in. I took time off from work to fix a birthday party, and I found this. Dear Mommy, if I'm not back by the time you get home, don't worry. Superman took me to the fair. I don't understand. This is Catherine's of riding. Of course, and you made her ride it. You... I made her ride it. Don't pretend. You've taken her someplace. You've taken her. You're mistaken. But you won't get away with it. If any arms come to Kathy, I'll... I'm going to get the police. Slugger, in a makeshift Superman costume, has brought Kathy to Marcel and Marie. Superman, why'd you carry me up the fire escape? I thought you could fly. And why'd we come here? You promised to take me to the fair. Don't ask so many questions, little girl. I don't think you're Superman at all. You don't talk like Superman. You don't act like Superman. You don't even look like Superman. Yeah? Is that so? The girl doesn't realize at the moment that they are criminals, but, but she wishes to go home. Kathy, dear, yesterday a man called you up on the telephone and left a message. It was all a mistake. He dialed the wrong number, and the message was really meant for us. Can you remember what the man said? Oh, sure. He said, look, you asked me. Gotta talk fast. Good, good. And then? Then he said, the meeting's set for 10 o'clock Saturday night. Saturday. That is tomorrow. Go on, dear. Go on? The rest of the message. Where did he say the meeting was going to take place? Oh, that? I forget. You forget? Uh-huh. What's the use of knowing the time of the meeting if we don't know where it's to be held? Leave this to me, Marcel. I will handle it. Do you think you might remember after a while? I don't know. I want to go home. Well, this is what we will do, Cathy. Stay here, have the birthday party, and after you have finished all that lovely cake and ice cream... And remember the rest of the message. And remember the rest of the message. We will have Slugger take you home. My mommy doesn't know where I'm at. She'll be worried. We will call her up and explain. Slugger, you take care of that. Tell her Kathy is safe and not to worry. Over 24 hours have passed since Kathy Williams has been taken from her home. Rival newspaper, The Daily Blade, has articles accusing Superman of the crime. Listen to this from The Daily Blade. It is now over 24 hours since little Kathy Williams was forcibly taken from her home by Superman. What is being done to find her? Why is a certain rival newspaper offering a reward for any evidence that will clear Superman? The Daily Blade has always stood for decency and fair play, but when it comes to shielding criminals... Well, that's all. I can't read anymore. Don't take it to heart, Lois. We know that Superman had nothing to do with Kathy's disappearance. Of course, it was an imposter dressed as Superman, but when, when I read this rubbish, I get so mad I could... Mr. Perkins, the tobacconist, enters the office. I'm the clerk at the tobacco store where... That fellow was shot the other day, uh, Cusack. Well, I was sweeping the floor and I found a piece of paper with a phone number on it. Well, I figured that that was the number that Cusack was calling when he was shot. Well, excuse me, Mr. Perkins, but exactly what has this got to do with Superman? Well, I'm coming to that. You see this piece of paper with the phone number on it, I... Yes, may I see it? Well, I don't exactly have it right now. You see, a, a man and a woman came in the store and... I was showing it to them, and I guess they took it when I wasn't looking. Mm. Go on. I remember the number, though. It was Abingdale 3741. Well, I got kind of curious. So I called this number, and a woman answered. 
I found out it was uh, where this little girl lives, this Kathy Williams that Superman's supposed to have taken. Have you been to the police about this? No. No, I didn't think nothing about it until I read about Superman and the reward. Can you describe this man and woman? Well, the man was kind of ordinary looking with a little mustache. And the woman, she was kind of plain. They both talked with an accent. French, I think. You know, now that I come to think of it, she called him Marcel. Marcel. It's a French name, all right, I wonder. Excuse me. Mr. Perkins is waiting in Clark's office while, the, while he calls the FBI agent Craig Roberts. In the meantime, Lois is heading for the Williams apartment to tell Kathy's mother the latest news. At the same time, Marcel grows impatient with Kathy. Marie is asking for the location of the mysterious meeting. Kathy, still unable to remember, refuses to answer. She wants to go home to her mother. At that moment, Slugger enters with a bunch of toys, one of which is a doll that says Mama. This makes Kathy miss her own doll. Marie then gets a dangerous idea. She and Marcel will go to the Williams' home to get the doll. Lois has entered the Williams' apartment. However, she has not found Kathy's mother. Marcel and Marie are in front of her with Kathy's doll in hand. Oh. Who are you? What do you want? Well, I'm a reporter from the Daily Planet. I, I had an appointment with uh, Mrs. Williams. Go on. Well, I just wanted to tell her that we're doing all we can uh, to find Kathy, that is. Uh, Kathy's her little girl. She's missing. Uh, been missing for a day or so. Well, I guess I came a little early. Lois leaves in a hurry, but she soon follows the pair of villains. Meanwhile, Craig Roberts has sent Clark Kent some photographs of French counterfeiters Marie and Marcel Duval. Mr. Perkins describes them as the couple that came into the tobacco shop asking about Herman Cusack. As a result, Perkins will get the Daily Planet's reward. Clark is now in Perry White's office. Marcel and Marie Duval, eh? Where'd you get these? The FBI. Craig Roberts sent them over. They're French counterfeiters. They hired a man named LaRue to steal a couple of thousand-franc plates from the Bank of France. Did he? He sure did, but he double-crossed those two. He brought the plates to America. And the FBI figures he plans to sell the plates to Big Jim Hanlon. Wait a minute. This little punk Cusack who was shot in the phone booth, didn't I hear someone say that one of Hanlon's boys rubbed him out? Right. Cusack was working for them, the Duvals. He probably found out where LaRue was to deliver the plates to Hanlon. He tried to call the Duvals, but he got the wrong number. Kathy Williams' number. Second letter, he was dead. Mm-hmm. It's all beginning to fit. These characters here thought Cusack had given the message to Kathy, so they grabbed her. Right. Someone in a fake Superman outfit. They might be torturing the poor kid, trying to beat it out of her. Kent, she's crippled. We've got to... Clark, Chief, I... Great Caesar's ghost! I just saw them, the man and the woman. You mean these two, the Devals? Yes. They were snooping around Kathy's apartment. They got a cab I followed, but I got caught at a traffic light and they got away. A cab what kind? A United. Excuse me, Chief. Miss Backrack, will you get me the United Cab Company? Thank you. At the same time, Slugger has been entertaining Kathy. And so the tin soldier stood straight and stiff from that time on. You like that story, little girl? Yes. And you know something? What? I like you. <laughs> I like you too, little girl. Mr. Slugger, you're not really a bad man. Why don't you take me home? Well, now, that wouldn't be right. I know. You're just afraid of them. Afraid me? I ain't afraid of nobody. 
Didn't I tell you about the time I went 20 rounds with terrible Tommy O'Toole? If that rev hadn't been blind as a bat, I'd have... Then you will take me home, Mr. Slugger? You're not afraid? Me afraid? Huh? I ain't afraid of nobody. Climb aboard! Where do you think you're going? Oh, I'm just gonna take the little girl home. Get back into the room. Slugger has been tied up to keep him from doing anything further against Marcel and Marie. You remember, all right? You're just being stubborn. Well, I know how to handle stubborn children. That's it. Lambert. Lambert something. Lambert and Waving Company. Out in Watsonville. To make certain that Kathy doesn't escape, Marcel removes her leg brace and places it on the mantle of the fireplace before leaving for the Lambert Engraving Company. In Perry White's office, Clark Kent hears from the taxi driver that he had driven the Duvall's home. They were dropped off at the Rosewood Apartments on Bleecker Street. Lois, Clark, and, Metro and Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson go there to help Kathy. Yeah, that's right, Inspector. They left about half an hour ago for the, uh, um... The Lambert Engraving Companies out in Watsonville. The man said 10 o'clock. It's 10 minutes to 10. Maybe we can get out there in time. Maybe not. Clark, where are you going? This is a job for Superman. I mean, I've got to find it. Are you going to arrest Mr. Slugger? Have to, Kathy. But I'll do what I can to see that he gets off lightly. He's really not a bad man. As Superman heads in their direction, the Duvalls arrive at the Lambert Electro Engraving Company, where they find LaRue inside. Thailand could not make it, LaRue. Marcel, you have a bad memory for appointments, LaRue. You were supposed to deliver those plates to us in Paris two months ago. Marcel, if you let me explain, I... it's too late for explanations now. Give Marie the plates. I, I don't have them, Marcel. You lie. You came here to deliver them to Hanlon. Uh, no, I, I did not have them. Shoot you down like a dog. There is an intense shootout between LaRue and Marcel. Superman lands in the middle of the battle and deals with the two counterfeiters, while Inspector Henderson's men apprehend Marie Duval and Big Jim Hanlon. With the criminals caught and the gun battle over, the only thing that must be done is return the plates to the Bank of France. However, Marie throws them into a vat of acid before anyone else can get to them. This is no problem for Superman, as his impervious hands enter the deadly liquid to recover the stolen objects. He wipes them clean with a towel so Inspector Henderson can handle them safely. Kathy Williams has returned home safely. She is reading a Superman comic book when the genuine article lands in her living room. <laughs> I've come in answer to your letter. Yes, I'm the real one. It's a real one this time. Now, as I understand it, you want to go on the roller coaster? And the merry-go-round and the Ferris wheel. All right. Well, we're going on a roller coaster, a merry-go-round, and a Ferris wheel, all our very own. As he flies with Kathy in his arms, leaving Metropolis to watch the wondrous sight. All right, so... I like this episode. It, I'm normally not a big fan of episodes that involve little kids, but this wasn't a bad episode. I like this one more than I like the similar Around the World with Superman episode that is in the third season. That's also a sweet episode, but not nearly as. doesn't have the sinister element that this one does. This episode opens with the exterior of the Daily Planet building. It's not the famous exterior that we'll see later on, such as the Los Angeles City Hall, but this works just the same, and... The scene is set as the camera kind of dissolves into the office and 
settles on Perry White's office door, telling us that this is where we're going to start this episode. Lois comes into the chief's office with uh, the birthday letter for Superman from the little girl, Kathy, who obviously can't go on the rise because of her disability. We don't, we don't know what her disability is exactly, and it doesn't really matter. We just know that there is something wrong with her right leg, as we find out later that she has a brace on it. This is where the Daily Planet gets a little too self-serving for my liking. Perry wants to do the right thing by the girl, and apparently he doesn't want to take up Superman's time to do so. So, not only is the planet going to give her a birthday party, how exactly, we're never told, but they're going to write about it as well because it would make a great human interest story. It seems to me like it's also some cheap publicity, and that's something I didn't think the planet would go for. I always thought the planet was far too respectable for a cheap promotion stunt, as Christopher Reeve would call it during Superman the movie. Now, a few weeks ago when I recorded with Bob Fisher, I mentioned this scene before when I spoke about how some say John Hamilton was reading his lines because he had trouble memorizing them. And this was the example that the From the Inkwell to the Backlot documentary on the DVD used to illustrate that point. As Lois is reading the letter to Perry, he's looking down, and he looks up when he delivers his line. And then when Lois speaks again, Hamilton looks down at the papers on his desk again. Like I mentioned to Bob back in episode 15, once you see that and notice that for the first time, it is extremely hard to unsee it, and I kind of wish I hadn't noticed that. But anyway, now you've probably noticed it as well, so we're going to move right along. And now we're going to meet Kathy playing with her doll on the couch here. And you see the signs of her disability are right there for all to see. There are the crutches right next to her, and you see the brace on her right leg for the first time. But she... The phone rings, and she grabs her crutches and goes over and answers it. I have no complaints about how the little girl acts here. I mean, she might move a little quickly for a girl on crutches, but I'm sure she didn't have a lot of time to learn how to use them properly, so I'm sure there's some fudging that went along with making this character come to life. Kathy has clearly clearly heard something bad, and I'm not sure if she noticed that she heard a gunshot murder this guy while he was on the phone, but she kind of just hung up the phone and assumed it was the wrong number. And it was. Personally, I hate wrong numbers, but this one may come back to haunt her because that dead mobster apparently wrote down the wrong phone number. I am pretty sure he did not want to tell Kathy Williams where the meat was. And now we meet the folks who were supposed to get the phone call. Marcel and Marie Duval, who are yelling at Slugger, who is, apparently this is at least the next day or the afternoon of the previous day because he's reading about the man who was shot at the drugstore. And then, thanks to the planet and the amazing power of coincidence, the call is easily traced because Marcel was able to politely ask the phone operator to do just that. You see, you ask nicely, you'll get people to do things for you. Or you can hold a gun on them, but I'm sure they couldn't They couldn't see the gun over the phone. Well, now that Marcel and Marie know that Kathy's biggest wish is to go to the fair with Superman, they're going to have Slugger dress up as Superman to go get the girl. And... I love the look on Slugger's face when he learns that he has to play Superman. He looks absolutely horrified. But we move right along, and we see Clark for the first time coming into Lois's office. Her office must have some huge windows as the blinds go all the way to the floor. Apparently, Clark just got back from covering a train wreck. He doesn't like covering train wrecks. I can't say I blame him. I've never had to cover a train wreck, per se, but I've had to cover car accidents and house fires and things like that, and... I don't like doing those things either. Documenting people's very personal loss is a very difficult thing to have to do. And it's a very uncomfortable thing to have to do. That's why I prefer to cover sports. But anyway, Phyllis Coates showed in this scene that she can deliver exposition 
just as good as Jack Larson does as she catches Clark up on the latest about Kathy. And speaking of Jack Larson, he does not appear in this episode. Superman flies out the window and goes to Kathy's house. You know, the flying shot is the same one used from Superman on Earth, but I don't care. Like I mentioned then, this is my one of my favorite flying shots of the series. So they can use this as many times as they want because I love it. However, an interesting note. Superman on Earth was filmed last, so it's actually very possible that this flying scene that I'm just talking about was shot for this episode, but reused for Superman on Earth, which at first, but was shot last. Confused yet? If you're not, you should be. And Superman comes to Kathy's house, and it's amazing how wherever Superman needs to land, there's a window open. Kathy's mother comes home to pre prepare Kathy's party, because today is, is after all, her seventh birthday. She took some extra time off from work. Very good mother. And Superman shows up and finds Kathy's gone with a note saying that she's gone with Superman. And she accuses Superman, who doesn't really know what she's talking about because, well, he just showed up now for the first time. And, you know, this is a terrifying moment for a parent. To come home and find your daughter gone. And this actress does a great job showing the fear any parent would have in this moment. I mean, if I came home and found my little girl missing, I don't know what I'd do. And I don't want to know what I'd do. I don't want to come home and find that. Or not find that. Whatever the case may be. But anyway, she won't even listen to Superman, and why should she? She's doing everything right in this situation. Well, except for leaving her disabled seven-year-old at home by herself. But I don't think she really had much of a choice if she had to go to work. There's no mention of Dad in this episode, so he is out of the picture in some way, shape, or form. But... You can't leave a seven-year-old at home by yourself now. You'd have CPS at your door for that. And honestly, you know, what's worse is, this whole thing was enabled by the Daily Planet. The Daily Planet published her letter in its entirety, stating that she's home all day while her mother's at work. That's irresponsible. That's like hanging an open season sign on Child for Child Predators. Oh, you don't print that. Come on, guys. Now that she's gone and being dragged in, or being carried, rather, into... Marcel and Marie's apartment, Kathy picks now to start asking questions. As Slugger carried her in off the fire escape, and then it dawns on her that he's not flying. And she was even fooled by this costume Slugger was wearing. He's wearing a jogging suit with a very ordinary-looking S on it, and his cape, if you really want to call it that, looks like a shower curtain, is clearly tied around his neck with strings hanging from the man's neck. This costume shouldn't fool anyone. And apparently it's not fooling Kathy anymore because she tells Slugger that she's pretty sure he's not Superman. Well, now the Marcells are pretending to be wealthy relatives that she never knew about. Marie gets the part of the message that Kathy knew out of her, but the girl shows remarkable memory knowing exactly what was said. I can barely remember a phone call ten minutes after I've had it. But she doesn't remember where. She gives them the date, the time, but not where. And Slugger is slow and dim-witted, but... He means well, and you'll see that later. But he was going to call Kathy's mother and tell her it's okay uh, before getting chastised by Marcel. Lois is reading a piece in the, in the Daily Blade, which is critical of the planet. Now, in the Adventure Superman radio show that started in the 40s and was still going on in 1952 when this series was airing, the Blade was a tabloid counterpart to the Daily Planet, known much more for its sensationalist reporting. If the planet is an analog for the New York Times then the Blade is the Post or the Daily News. Clark's office and Lois's office are the same set, I'm guessing, as evidenced by the giant window in the background. However, in Clark's office, his desk is in the foreground 
kind of perpendicular to the door, while Lois's office, the desk is on the left side of, of the screen, facing the door. So just a, you move some furniture around, and you've got two different offices. That's kind of how TV sets work back then and still for the most part today. Here's Perkins, the tobacco clerk. He found the sheet of paper with the phone number. And he came forward for no other reason than to get the reward that the planet is offering to clear Superman. You know, you don't have to question his motives. They're right there out on his sleeve. The only thing he wants is the reward. And he is describing the, Mar the Duvals. And with Marcel and Marie, you see two people trying to get the same information in two completely different ways. Marie is trying to be sweet about it and trying to make Kathy feel comfortable. Marcel, meanwhile, he's got a one-track mind. He just wants to know the rest of the message. But the only response they're getting from Kathy is that she wants to go home. These guys aren't going for it. And, you know, this is the point where, you know, you're starting to feel bad for the girl. She's terrified. She hasn't seen her mother in at least a day or two at this point. And then Slugger comes in. He's bringing the comic relief with his idiocy. Yes. She's a girl, and he brought some sporting goods and football and a baseball bat and stuff like that. And he also brought a doll for camp. But she doesn't like that particular doll as it's not the one she has at her house. And having a child of my own, I am quite familiar with that. Children like the toy that they like, and nothing can replace that particular toy. My five-year-old is like that with certain toys. My sister was like that when she was a child, and I believe I was too. Even if you buy them a toy that is exactly identical to the one they don't have, they will still know the difference. It's uncanny how that works. Marcel and Marie are going to expose themselves and go to Kathy's house looking for the doll. And Lois is going to meet with... Mrs. Williams, she wants to reassure Mrs. Williams, who we only saw in that one scene and we're not going to see again, that the Daily Planet has cleared Superman and they've identified who was taking Kathy. However, she finds Marcel and Marie there and she is startled by the fact that she sees them. It's unclear whether she knows who they are, but she does follow them, so she is definitely wise to the fact that they're up to no good. Well, now we're back to Clark and Perkins. He only cares about the reward, but... He identified the Duvalls and as the folks who went to the store ask, asking about the man who was shot and who took the paper with the phone number on it. But now that he knows he'll get his reward, Perkins is okay, he is happy, he's going to take his money and he's going to leave the episode and we're not going to have to deal with him anymore. And then we find out when Clark is in Perry's office that Miss Backrack apparently did not retire after the events of Night of Terror. As when Lois comes running into Perry's office, we see a secretary outside of his door and after she reports in that she lost the cab at a red light, Clark calls Miss Backrack to get the cab company on the phone for him. Now we go back to the slugger, and, you know, I'm watching him. You know, he's kind of that, like that big teddy bear kind of person who has all the good intentions in the world, but he just seems to have fallen in with the wrong people. And he's developing a nice little bond here with Kathy, and she actually says that she likes him, and he's doing his best to, at the very least, entertain her. I don't think Slugger will do anything purposely to hurt her, aside from kidnap her, but I think he was just kind of goaded into doing that. I don't believe he wants to see any harm come to this child, but he's an idiot. I am amused by the fact that he's wearing a strainer on his head, and he references a fight that he had going 20 rounds with somebody, so I'm guessing he was a former boxer. And that's when Kathy asked him if he's afraid, and that goes into his boxer mode to show her that he's not afraid of anything. I had no issue with the child actor who played Kathy. You know, she's a little wooden, but I'm convinced that of her emotion and that she's afraid. Slugger's afraid of nobody, but nearly has an involuntary bowel movement when the Duvalls walk in. 
And then the idiot tells her he's going to take her home. What are you doing? The Duvals give Kathy the doll. As the doll singing of Mary had a little lamb triggers Kathy's memory of the meat being at the Lambert Company. And fortunately, that gives Marcel and Marie a half hour to get to where they need to go. Now Marcel will do about the cruelest thing that you can do to a girl wearing a leg brace. He takes it off and her cries are sickening and she is terrified and screaming. That gets you right there, you know. It is very tough, even when you know it's fake, watching somebody deliberately hurt a child. But while that's going on, the planet crew is catching some Zs as they wait for the cab driver to call back. Perry's office is dark, but the phone eventually rings and they find out where they have to go to find Kathy. Enabling the police to rescue Slugger and Kathy, and the little girl vouches for her big friend, saying that he's not a bad man. Children are very trustworthy, sometimes to their own detriment. But Henderson tells her he'll do what he can because Slugger did try to help her. And then she remembers to tell them where the meat was. And of course, there's no time to get there because they've only got ten minutes. Clark leaves because this is a job for Superman. He says that to everyone but then corrects himself to saying that he has to find the Man of Steel. Let's call that Secret Identity Mishap number five. Now, we're back in the alley, and to follow up on my previous discussion with Bob about this alley, the cut to the front shot of Superman is inconclusive as to whether this is George Reeves on the takeoff at regular speed. However, I managed to pause it just before liftoff. The image is blurry, but I don't think that's George Reeves going up on the wire. The face looks a little thinner and longer, and I am inclined to believe that it is actually the stuntman that is being lifted up into the air. Marcel and Marie have tracked down LaRue, and this ends up in a shootout. I love Superman's landings. You know, he always lands with such power coming in off the bar from out of screen, and he knocks the gun out of LaRue's hand and apprehends all three very easily and fishes the plates out of the acid, wipes them off, and sends them back where they belong. Now, when we get back to Kathy, who is safe at home, Again, her mother is nowhere to be found. Uh, I don't know about you, but if my daughter went missing for an extended period of time, and there have been times when I've been without my daughter for various reasons, when she came back, I was very hard for me to let her out of my sight. Let's just say that. But she comes in. Superman reassures her that he's the real deal. You would think that reassurance wouldn't be necessary as he did fly in through an open window. This episode has a nice feel-good ending as... Superman takes her flying. You know, there's the crowd from the opening sequence. It's, uh, Steve Carr is the man pointing in this episode. He's pointing up toward them in the sky. He's also the man pointing at the sky in the opening sequence. I don't know if that's his voice, but I do know Stephen Carr is in the opening sequence. So he is, in a, in a way, in most episodes of The Adventures of Superman. And he'll be in both episodes that I'm covering on this show. But anyway, this is a sweet little moment as both Superman and the little girl are flying. And she gives him a little kiss on the cheek as they're flying. And, you know, they're both all smiles and the main show theme blares proudly during this moment. Just giving, lifting your spirit and filling you with all kinds of good feelings. It's a great ending to this episode. This little girl's been through hell during this ordeal and really to have her flying with Superman at the end with a big smile on her face is... As the viewer, it's worth all the trouble we've had to watch her go through. And if this scene doesn't bring a smile to your face or a tear to your eye, then you, my friend, are dead inside. But I don't want you to be, and I want you to continue with me. I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Mind Machine. 
Hang around. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And... You know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailytude.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Mind Machine. Original broadcast date was November 7th, 1952. Writers were Dennis Cooper and Lee Backman. Director was Lee Sholem. Guest cast is Griff Barnett as Dr. Edward Stanton. Dan Seymour as Lou Cranick. Ben Weldon as Curly. James C. as Senator Taylor. Harry Hayden as Carl Wagner. Lester Dorr as the bus driver. Frank Orth as Al. And Stephen Carr, the brother of Tommy Carr as John Hadley. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Director Edward Stanton and his assistant, John Hadley, are working in their laboratory on the hypnotherapy transmitter, a device intended to make contact with a person's mind to treat minor nervous disorders. If the project is successful within its 25-mile range, imaginary fears and phobias can be cured. Stanton has been working on this invention for the past five years. And three masked men have just entered. They are taking Dr. Stanton and his machine. Hadley has been ordered not to go to the police. Otherwise, Stanton will be killed. Lou Cranick, better known as Mr. Big, has been dubbed by the Daily Planet as the kingpin of all organized crime in Metropolis. Well, there it is. Today's lead. That's a story we can all be proud of, Chief. Right. And if it hadn't been for that series of articles we ran a few months back, there wouldn't be any crime committee. I hope Senator Taylor does as good a job here as he did up north. He can't do otherwise. Look at the witnesses they has lined up, including Lois. Don't forget she worked three weeks in those cities while you were back in Chicago covering the convention. And have I got facts and figures, names, dates, places, all the tie-ups to Mr. Big himself, Lou Cranick. If you only knew what that man controls, slot machines, gambling houses, organized vice. Let's say did control. Because when Senator Taylor gets through with him, Mr. Big will just be another number in the state penitentiary. As the hearings are being discussed by Editor Perry White, Clark Kent, and Lois, Jimmy Olsen tells Kent that Hadley is in his office. I believe you know my employer, Dr. Edward Stanton. Dr. Stanton? Let's see. Oh, yes, didn't he deliver that paper last year before the medical convention? That's right, and you interviewed him afterwards. He was quite impressed with you at the time, and when all this happened, I... Well, there was no one else I could think of turning to. Oh, won't you sit down, Mr. Hadley? Uh, yeah, thank you. Mr. Kent... Last night, Dr. Stanton and I were at work in his laboratory when three masked men broke in. 
They kidnapped Dr. Stanton and stole the machine. The machine? The hypnotherapy transmitter Dr. Stanton has been working on for the past five years. It's designed to treat minor nervous disorders. In what way? By enabling whoever operates the machine to make direct contact with a person's mind. Make suggestions which, which might help rid that mind of imaginary fears and inhibitions. I see. In other words, mental suggestion from a distance. That's it. If the subject is anywhere within the operating radius of the machine about, oh, about 25 miles, his mind can be reached. It can be an amazingly helpful instrument, Mr. Kent, but in the wrong hands, it can be terribly, terribly dangerous. Have you been to the police? Oh, no. The kidnappers, those men, they warned me not to go to the police. Dr. Stanton's been like a father to me, Mr. Kenton. Well, I don't want to take a chance of anything happening to him. Well, I don't know exactly what I can do. I thought that... I don't know what I thought. But you're a newspaper man, Mr. Kent. And we've got to get Dr. Stanton and the machine back again before something terrible happens. I'll do the best I can for you, Mr. Hadley. Under the circumstances... Thank you, Mr. Kent. Thank you. I can't make you any promises, but I do have an idea. Now, you keep your eye on the personal column in tomorrow's planet. A personal ad has been placed in the Daily Planet asking for any information on the whereabouts of Professor Stanton, who is being held by Luke Cranick and his gang. Good morning, Doctor. Did you have a good night's sleep? I demand to know where I am and why I was brought here. Certainly. You're in the Blue Mountains, about 20 miles from Metropolis. And you've been brought here to operate this machine for us. What do you know about my transmitter? Everything, Doctor. But how? How? Nobody except myself and Hadley ever saw this machine before. Remember about three months back, you hired a new chauffeur. He was with you a couple of weeks, then got drunk and you had to fire him. Put on your glasses, Doctor. And take a good look behind you. Oh. Al doesn't talk much, but he smiles pretty. Remembers everything he sees. He's one of my best boys. And who are you? <laughs> Lou Cranick. The Daily Planet calls me the kingpin of organized crime. An interesting title, eh? <laughs> oh, so you're the man Senator Taylor and his committee are trying to expose. Right, and that's where you come in, Doctor. You and your machine. You see, Senator Taylor has lined up a bunch of witnesses who can make things very unpleasant for me. So you're going to tune in on them and persuade them to change their minds. You must be insane. My machine was never intended for such a purpose. But it'll work, won't it, Doctor? But don't you see, imposing your will on a subject without his consent, there's, well, there's no telling what the effect might be. I guess that's the chance we'll have to take. Curly, one of Mr. Big's men, shows his boss the newspaper. Cranick, however, doesn't want anyone to give Stanton to the planet for the reward offered by the periodical. Senator Taylor is questioning Carl Wagner. Your name is Wagner, Carl Wagner? Yes, sir. What is your occupation? I'm an accountant. Mr. Wagner, were you ever employed by the Playtime Syndicate? I was their head bookkeeper for several years. Will you tell this committee what type of business the Syndicate engaged in? Bookmaking, uh, slot machines, and things like that. As head bookkeeper, you were familiar with the corporate setup of the syndicate. That is, you knew who controlled it. I did. That's fine, Doctor. You've got him tuned in swell. Mr. Wagner, are you acquainted with a certain Lou Cranick? Tell him no, Wagner! Tell me you never heard of Cranick! I... I never heard of Cranick. 
You mean to say you never heard of the man who owns 75% of the syndicate stock? No. I... I never heard of Kranich. Do you intend to tell us anything further? I know nothing. I have nothing to say. All right, you're excused. But I warn you, we intend citing you for contempt. Lois Lane and Clark Kent are surprised by the change of heart, and the two reporters ask for a statement. But Wagner, in his trance-like state, wants to be left alone. Curious by Wagner's odd behavior, Lois and Clark follow him. To evade Lois and Clark, Wagner steals a woman's car, and then the two reporters follow him in Lois's car. Suddenly, Wagner gets a flat and is forced to hijack a school bus carrying three students. Somebody crazy stole my bus. I was tightening the brakes down. Is there anyone the inside? Three kids. There's a steep hill ahead, and those brakes won't hold. Oh, good heavens, Clark. We've got to do something. Come on. Well, uh, don't you think someone ought to take care of that poor woman back there in the car? Well, you can stay here if you want to, but I'm going to try and save those children. Let's go, miss. Clark changes to Superman, who manages to stop the bus, while Lois and the driver look amazed. Superman. The children are all right, Miss Lane. Just a little shaken up. Oh, thank goodness. And Wagner, what about him? See for yourself. Is he dead? How did it happen? I believe his mind was destroyed. His mind? I don't understand. Someone destroyed his ability to think and reason. The brain itself was fatally injured. Why, that sounds fantastic. How was it done? Clark Kent can probably tell you that. Can you fix those brakes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure I can. Good. Then I suggest you stay with the children until the brakes are fixed. All right. Goodbye, Miss Lane. So far, including Carl Wagner, three witnesses in Senator Taylor's investigation have died of severe brain injuries from the hypnotherapy transmitter. Lois Lane is next to testify against Kranich in spite of Perry White and Clark Kent's protests. Lois, after all that's happened, we can't let you take the chance. The Chief's right, Lois. It's much too dangerous. Why don't you just give them the stuff in your files? The real stuff isn't in the files. It's in my head. Meetings I overheard between Kranich and others. Stuff so hot I didn't dare write it down. Lois, for the last time, are you going to listen to reason? Chief, I'm going to be on that witness stand today at 3 o'clock, and that's all there is to it. We've got to stop her some way, Chief. I know it. I wish you'd tell me how. I'll get hold of Hadley. We'll have a talk with Senator Taylor. I hope it does some good. Now, just a moment, Mr. Kent. Let me get this clear. You're asking me to call off the hearing simply on the basis of this uh, theory of yours. It's no theory, Senator. It's a fact. An infernal machine in the hands of sinister forces being used to intimidate my witnesses, then destroying their minds? That's a little hard to take. How else can you explain the deaths of three witnesses? Well, there is such a thing as coincidence. Coincidence? All three in a row and all of brain injuries? Isn't that stretching coincidence a little bit? Well, in any case, it's a matter for the police to clear up. I'm sure they're doing all they can. But there are other witnesses to be heard, Senator. We don't want anything to happen to them. Isn't it possible to postpone these hearings for a while? Postpone them? Mr. Kent, this committee has a limited amount of time and a limited amount of money, taxpayers' money. They're counting on us to get the job done as fast and economically as we can. I'm sorry, but the hearings will go on as scheduled. And now, if you'll excuse me. Their only course of action now is to find the machine. Clark and Hadley ponder their options. The machine uses a great deal of power and can be detected by radar when activated. Dr. Stanton's private plane is equipped with a lot of state-of-the-art machines, including the aforementioned radar and a radio phone. 
Lois will testify a half hour sooner than anticipated. She was originally to do so at 3 p.m. Cranick has learned of this through the live radio broadcast. What's the matter with the doc? Something bothering you, doctor? Look at that! Take it easy. That's nothing to get excited about. Three men have died because of my machine. I warned you, Cranick. I warned you in the beginning. So what? Cranick, I let myself be forced into this because I was weak, but not anymore. There's nothing you or your two hoodlums can do to me that'll make me go ahead with this. Nothing. Is that so? We interrupt this program of recorded music. Due to a last-minute change in schedule, this afternoon's session of the Taylor Crime Committee has been moved up half an hour. In exactly three minutes' time, that's 2.30, we will take you direct to the committee room, where the first witness will be Miss Lois Lane, a reporter on the Metropolis Daily Planet. Yeah, forget it, boys. We haven't got the time. But, boss, if we don't persuade him quick, who's going to work the machine? Me. I've watched him do it, and I got it all figured out. I'll keep an eye on the doctor. We'll take care of him later. The hypnotherapy transmitter signal has been found by the radar in Dr. Stanton's plane. However... Hello? Hello, Chief. Clark Kent. Look, get hold of Lawson. What? Lawson on the stand right now. Good heavens! What'll we do? I'm afraid there's only one thing to do. Look! He knocks out Hadley and puts the aircraft in automatic pilot mode, giving him a chance to become Superman. The Man of Steel swoops into Luke Cranick's mountain hideout mere seconds before he can give Lois orders to change her testimony. Cranick and his two henchmen attack, but they are no match for Superman. Meanwhile, Professor Stanton has smashed his mind machine. Dr. Stanton, are you all right? I... Yes, I... Whoever you are, I want to thank you for... Your machine, you've destroyed it. I... I had to. It was a terrible, terrible thing I created. It was meant to do good, to help people. And all it's done has... You mustn't blame yourself, Doctor. There will always be people who somehow try to turn good into evil. You can build another machine. No. I'll never build another one. Never! With Hadley still unconscious, Dr. Stanton's plane had run out of fuel. Stanton himself is watching over the dormant forms of Mr. Big's gang while Superman lands the aircraft safely. Later, on the way to Perry White's office, Clark convinces Hadley that the lab assistant had actually done this. But Mr. Kent, I still haven't got this straight. Do you mean to say I blacked out yet still managed to land the plane safely? Can you think of any other explanation, Mr. Hadley? Well, goodness me. I had no idea I was such a fine pilot. <laughs> Kent, where on earth have you been? Well, Chief, Mr. Hadley and I were... Never mind, while you were off or wherever you were... Superman showed up and nabbed Cranick and the machine. And what's more, Dr. Stanton's going to testify before the committee. With what he's got to say, Cranick's goose will be thoroughly cooked. While we're telling you all this, I don't know. I've a good mind to give you a nickel and let you read it in tomorrow's paper. Where were you? Well, Chief, if you'll just let me explain. Yes, Clark, where were you? Explain. Well, Lois, I thought you were in danger. I just tried to help. You? Why should I need your help when I can always count on... I know. Superman. Alright, this was a fun episode, you know, with the invention of the mind machine, it throws some science fiction elements and into this episode, and in addition to the crime drama feel. And, as far as I'm concerned, you can never go wrong with throwing a little science fiction into a Superman story. So, there's that. Now the episode starts off with two men. The older man is Dr. Stanton, and 
The other is his assistant, Mr. Hadley, played by Stephen Carr, who has been in just about every episode of the series so far. And that's when three masked men barge in to grab Stan. Hadley hilariously tries to help, but he is knocked down pretty easily, and he is threatened by the men. And we next go to the Daily Planet, and like in the previous episode that we I discussed, the scene dissolves from the exterior of the of the Daily Planet building and into Perry White's door. Now, now our the main Daily Planet staff is hanging out in the chief's office for some exposition. This is where we learn that Lois has all the information to put Kranich away. And what I noticed when Lois opened the door is that there is still a secretary outside the chief's office. So, apparently, I was wrong last week when I mentioned that. Miss Backrack, or the secretary, is never seen after Night of Terror. I am clearly wrong about that, so mea culpa. This is when Hadley shows up to see Clark to deliver even more exposition and to report the theft of the hypnotherapy machine. There's a lot of exposition in these early Daily Planet scenes. That's something that we've seen in previous episodes that I've covered and that we're going to see throughout the next 95 or so episodes of the series that I'm going to talk about. Apparently, Dr. Stanton's machine can hypnotize people within a 25-mile radius of the machine. What could possibly go wrong with this? And let's follow some of this logic here. The kidnappers told Hadley not to call the police or they'd kill Stanton. Right? Right. What makes Hadley think going to the planet will be any better? And what exactly is he trying to accomplish here? But before he leaves, Clark tells him to check the personal ad in the paper the next day. I can only imagine what this man is thinking as he walks out of Clark's office. Apparently, the personal ad is the next thing we see on screen, and a reward is being offered for the information that leads to the recovery of Dr. Stanton. Clark is playing fast and loose with the paper's money here, as that a reward is being offered by somebody. I'm sure Clark's not going to bet. And as I look at this scene with these criminals sitting in this little hut, or hunting lodge, as I believe it's referred to later, these criminals are looking very familiar to me, as I've Previously watched every episode of this series, some episodes multiple times, but Dan Seymour, who plays Kranich, he'll do two more episodes, including a season one episode, and which is one of my favorite episodes of the series, The Stolen Costume, and Ben Weldon, the who plays Curly, the balding man, he'll appear in a total of eight episodes throughout the course of the series, probably one of the most frequently used henchmen. I'd have to look that up to be sure, but eight episodes seems like quite a bit. Like I said before, what could possibly go wrong with this device? Now, we're going to find that out, as Kranich is going to use the machine to work on the witnesses. And the first witness is Mr. Carl Wagner, the former bookkeeper for the Playtime Syndicate. Apparently, the subject being in focus on the monitor means the machine can control him. And when he's controlled, Wagner, who was cooperating with the Senate committee at first, gets all robotic and refuses to answer any further questions or be helpful in any way. Now, when he's being controlled, Clark and Lois notice something is wrong, noticing that Wagner has quickly changed his tune, but the senator doesn't see it. He just holds Wagner in contempt and sends him on his way. But Lois and Clark want some answers, but Wagner is still high-strung. And they follow him, and he's walking very robotically as if he's being controlled, or if he's not being controlled, something is definitely wrong with this man. And he's also acting extremely paranoid. You know, it almost reminds me of the way Dr. McCoy would act about 14 years later during Sitting on the Edge of Forever when Star Trek episode when he would accidentally be injected with some kind of medication. But anyway, like I said, Wagner is so paranoid here that he carjacks a young woman. And, he, and he's really moving as 
he pulls out of the city and lowers the clock follow him until Wagner's car blows out on a dirt road. I don't know how long they were driving, but they got from downtown to that dirt road very quickly. Now that the car is useless to him, Wagner is going to jack the next vehicle he finds, and that's a school bus. And right out from under the driver, or from over the dryer, driver, depending on your perspective here. And I've seen this trope a million times that it never fails to amuse me, as the mechanic is working on the rear brakes of the bus, and the bus drives off. I want to say I also see that in, in, in an Indiana Jones movie, but don't hold me to that. The mechanic is extremely high-strung as they come up to him because he is upset that the brakes are not going to function properly and it's not going to be, be enough to stop the bus going down this hill. Lois and the mechanic are going to save the children. I don't exactly know what they're going to do, but they're going to give their best effort. Clark, meanwhile, makes a big show of checking on the woman that Wagner previously carjacked, but once Lois and the mechanic are gone, he changes into Superman. And I will say in this episode, we get some nice wire takeoffs as Superman just lifts off the ground and starts flying. And he lands in front of the bus, and I love this shot as the bus just drove around him. <laughs> Which um, amused me, but I'm sure it made Superman pretty angry. But he shows that he learned from his mistakes, as this time he grabbed the bus from behind, not giving Wagner an opportunity to drive the bus away from him. Now, in these wire shots, especially these takeoffs, it, look, it looks like Superman just kind of, looks as though Superman just gets yanked away. And for an actor playing a role, that's got to be a hell on the back. After stopping the bus, Superman reasons that Wagner's mind has been destroyed, and then tells Lois Clark has the answer. I'm not exactly sure why Superman couldn't fill her in right there, but I guess he wanted to give his alter ego something to do. And then we get one of those newspaper montages, and the papers are telling the story of what's going on as several days are passing. And in this time, not only Wagner, but two other witnesses have also died. And wouldn't you know it, Lois is up next. And understandably, Perry and Clark don't want her to testify. And Clark even suggests that she just give Taylor the stuff in her files and be done with it. Apparently, she can't do that because everything is in her head and she didn't dare write it down. I'm going to throw some of my reporter experience into this. If this information is that hot, I don't dare not write it down. Because the human memory is a tricky thing. And you want to have that documented somewhere so that you don't forget, especially something of this importance. You don't want to write a story because as a reporter, we know we don't think of this all the time. Because if we thought about this while writing our stories, we'd never get anything written. Every story a reporter writes is an opportunity for somebody to sue you for libel or defamation or for whatever they want, really. But the human memory is not very reliable, and in the event something like that would occur, you want something documented on paper or on a hard drive somewhere. To just sit it and keep all this information in your head is just not good practice. Anything I want to remember, I write it down so I don't forget. Unable to convince Lois not to testify, Clark and... Hadley go to Taylor to try to get him to postpone the hearing, but he's looking out for taxpayer money, and he's not going to postpone the hearing. And he chalks this whole thing up to coincidence. And I really like seeing Clark kind of throw that argument back at him and say, no, how can it be a coincidence? Three people dead, all th three of the same brain trauma. But, like I said, the Senate doesn't want to hear it. All he cares about is getting his man, and 
he doesn't seem to care how many lives he has to waste in the pursuit of justice. So he's not going to postpone the hearing, even at the risk of further witnesses. And Hanley is still helping Clark out. This is definitely the biggest role Stephen Carr has had in an episode. So now they're off in a plane searching for the machine while Curly and Granick play some cards. And then all of a sudden, it's Lois' turn to testify. I don't know how long Stanton has been where he is. But I'm going to venture a guess that it's a couple of days, at least. And he's just noticed that his machine has killed three people. That is the impetus for him to kind of bare his teeth a little bit and show off his newfound strength as he refuses to help Kranich any longer. He's so strong that he's about to get himself stabbed for his trouble. Instead, Kranich is going to work the machine because, apparently, he has watched Stanton do it enough that now he can operate it himself. As they're searching for the machine, Clark and Hadley think they have enough time, but they don't. But they don't know that the hearing has been moved up. But just in time, the plane picks up the machine. And this is when Clark finds out from Perry that Lois is already on the stand. I, I love Clark's reaction. What? Clark has a tendency when someone is in trouble to get very high-strung and impatient. And I really like how George Reeves acts in these situations. It's what I believe Superman would do. And this next bit is absolutely hilarious. At least I think it is. You, you may not, but I do. Clark switches on the autopilot and then distracts Hadley with the Hey Look trick and punches him out. Hadley may end up with a swollen jaw, but Superman is going to go save the day. Now, as Superman is flying, Lois is going to slowly come into focus on the machine as Superman crashes into the lodge. One thing George Reeves is, is good at through the course of this show is breaking through walls. Well, we didn't get to see it this time as we only hear Superman come in through the window and breaking it. Normally, he finds windows open for him, but when he wants to make an entrance... Those windows are closed, and he just crashes through them. Yeah. After Kranich empties his gun on Superman, he throws the gun at Superman. The myth here is that Superman ducks out of the way of the thrown gun because George Reeves, who was known to be cranky about certain things, ducked out of the way in the sense that he didn't want to get hit by a flying prop. Not true. Watch the episode a little more closely, and when you watch this scene, look closely at Superman. And if you have the DVD and a high-def TV, you're going to notice right away that that is not George Reeves at all. It's the stuntman. George Reeves is in the close-ups, but in the long shot, it's the stunt. Again, it's the kind of thing that wouldn't have been noticed on a small fuzzy screen in 1952, but on a very clear DVD played on an HD screen, it's noticeable. I love this fight scene, especially Al, who doesn't do much, he doesn't speak at all, but... It's funny watching him try to choke Superman and hit him over the head with a vase, and Superman just stands there and eventually just throws him down. And while this is going on, Dr. Stanton has found a small wooden, looks like a 2x4 from someplace, a small one though, and he's destroying his invention with it. After all that's done and Superman laments the loss of the machine, this episode continues the unknown Superman trope as Stanton doesn't recognize him, which still, to me, does not play well with the events of the monkey mystery when Maria Maleska, somebody from half a world away, knew who Superman was, while people from basically Superman City don't know who he is. Very strange. And then, did we forget about anything? Are you sure? You know what? We forgot about Hadley. He is outside. His plane ran out of fuel and he's crashing. Well, Superman flies up into the air and he gets to the plane in time. Now, when he catches the plane and he's on the bottom, 
Superman's face is not shown. He's looking down, but I'm guessing that's the stuntman there as that hair doesn't look like George Reeves'. But we do see George Reeves holding up the plane in a shot from below, and his facial expressions here are great as you could tell Superman is struggling here. And I love the look of effort showing that it isn't easy to lift a plane that is in freefall. We end up back at the planet, and I am not buying Clark's explanation that Hadley blacked out and still landed the plane, and I don't think Hadley's buying it either. Even if I didn't know Clark was Superman, I don't think I would buy that explanation. But he is not going to ask anything further. And I love how they go into Perry's office, and Perry is just reaming Clark out because nobody knew where he was. I love even more that Clark has no explanation other than trying to help. You know, that ending scene is a perfect ending for this episode. He does get away with it because we never have to see how he gets out of this situation. So that takes care of that episode. Now, I hope you enjoyed my coverage of these two episodes. Even episodes I don't particularly care for in season one are still good episodes. I recommend anybody pick up these DVDs. If you're just listening to me talk about these episodes, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Check out the episodes, and then listen to me ramble on about them. And I will be back to ramble some more next week, as I'm going to talk about the next two episodes, Rescue and The Secret of Superman. In the meantime, feedback is always welcome. You can shoot me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the Facebook group by searching for The Man of Screen Podcast. You can... Check me out on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at ManaScreencast. Or you can leave me a review on iTunes, as a couple people have done so far. That really helps, as the more reviews there are, the easier it is for people to find the show while doing a search. So, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.